scribes and scribblers. Welcome back to the Nip Section, the official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. I'm Dinah Dye, producer-in-chief, and I'm here with three other co-hosts. First up, our man in Hong Kong, Leo Fock. How are you, Leo? Hello, hello. I'm doing okay, except I feel like I've just sung a red eye. Because no one actually knows this, but um, last night at 4am, the fire alarm rang. <laughs> and uh, apparently... Um, Someone 12 floors down on the other wing of the building had, had, had a small fire. Also with us, the double bold tab. How are you? The double bold. Yeah. Yeah, I'm all right. Oh, had a long day, but uh, uh, it's, it's, all, it's all right. I'm doing all right. I'm also here with Sharon, generous benefactor. Hi, everyone. Uh, listeners, we are here to talk about Pelican. Um, we've had some requests, mainly from Sharon, to talk about Pelican. Actually, that was via our Instagram. We had a couple of uh, pieces of feedback that came up in conversation, and one of them was, you guys never talk about the Germans. And that's me paraphrasing, but um, um, uh, originally, the, I think the um, message or the feedback came through before we did the Mont Blanc episode. It was during our um, hiatus, and uh, the overwhelming comments were, you don't talk about the Germans, um, which is true we didn't we don't traditionally talk about um german brands that much but uh in particular pelican was called out because we have done a uh probably not a focus but we have done an overview of lamy as well as grassland fiber castell and mont blanc but pelican was probably the big one that was lacking from the catalog and there's a reason for that, because I'm, uh, I think I've said multiple times, I'm not a big fan of Pelican, but um, I'm here with, I'm here with three pretty big Pelican fans. So um, you're, I'm open to being influenced. Let's get started. Uh, starting off with what are we writing with today? Leo, let's start with you. Uh, right now, I am currently rocking my unholy Franken pen. So, so, so what it is, is, it, is that it turns out the Justice 95 is a, uh, uses a number 10 nib, and you can swap in, not that I'm rec- recommending it. Recommending the Pilot it, um, Justice, you mean? Yes, the Pilot Justice 95, the, the, the modern remake, is number 10, and you can swap in a number 10 FA nib, which is the softest FA, softer than the 15. The benefit to this, or like Leo's snake oil salesman pitch is, is is that uh the the overfeed tab which adjusts the the bounciness springiness of, of of nib um a helps make the number 10 fa more controlled and also acts as a sort of overfeed so so it like will pull between the tab and, and and the nib and so you get slightly more better inflow and tab what are you writing with I'm writing with an uh, Asa Flora. So the brand is Asa, spelled A-S-A. And the model is Nauka. It's N-A-U-K-A. And the sort of a sub-model is called Flora. It's a handmade pen from India. It's humongous. Um, it's very big. Number six nib. It's a demonstrator. But it's got that um, that lovely frosted glass finish that a lot of handmade Indian pens have. So it really does look like sea glass um, in this translucent acrylic 
Is that the green pen that you mentioned a couple of episodes ago that you were waiting to arrive yes, from India? Yes, that's the one. That's the one. Yes. Yeah, it arrived like nearly a year later. And not, not by any fault of the seller, of course. No, pandemic. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was COVID. And it is, uh, I, I've put in it because it originally had a broad nib, of course, but I actually needed an extra fine nib at work. So I've put a Yovo extra fine nib in it. Uh, God forbid. <laughs> But it's huge. It's massive. It is potentially my biggest pen. It's not heavy. It's not uncomfortable. Uh, it has a really nice, like, kind of uh, taper to it. But it is a very, very big pen. Uh, it's cartridge converter or, or eyedropper. And it just takes a standard Yovo nib section and feed. Yeah, and I've got um, Noodler's Navy ink in it. I'm writing with uh, a pen that is very on brand for this episode. It was loaned to me by Sharon, um, probably one of several pelicans that she's loaned to me over the years um, from her vast collection of pelicans. It's the Maestro No, it's not. Why am I saying Maestro That's more Maestro <laughs> It's the uh, Pelican Souverain um, M605, I believe. So uh, the white stripe, that's the one with the white acrylic body, the white stripes um, the, in the semi-transparent barrel and the rhodium colored trim. It's got a fine nib and um, Sharon inked it with um, Graphon Faber-Castell violet blue before she gave it to me. It's actually running pretty low on ink because I've been writing quite a bit with it. That's impressive how much you've gone through with that. Well, I, I did give it. A good shot. Um, I gave it a lot of opportunities to win me over. And I, in, in general, um, spoiler, I do quite like it. I don't know if I'm going to shell out to buy one myself, but I enjoyed my time with it. So thank you, Sharon. So what are you writing with this week, Sharon? So I am in the spirit of this uh, episode. I have inked up three pens. I will show you. I have three pelicans here, three birds. Um, so I have the new red 600, the turquoise from M600 from last year, last year, um, no, year before, year before. Oh we just gosh. forget about last year. Last 20, year 2020, what was, that? what was that? So yeah, it's the 2019, so last year's one, <laughs> 2019 um, turquoise. And then I have a M400. M400 uh, in the white tortoise. So Your favourite pen, your favourite pelican. This one is probably, look, on and off it is my favourite. Uh, it's just because I have so many uh, sentimental feels attached to it. I feel very, very sentimental whenever I look at this pen, and I have many of them. I have about three of these pens with different caps. And we can talk about exactly why, but basically this one has a specialty nib in it. This one has a nib which, uh, so the M M400, the white tortoise, has a specialty nib in it, which was a Richard Binder extra fine flex nib that he did back when he was still doing those particular um, grinds. And you can literally just add it to cart um, and check out and buy yourself lots. Uh, I didn't. I only bought two. So I have two white tortoises for um, the two specialty nibs that I've got, although my other one's currently sitting in a brown tortoise. But anyway, um, so this one, the white tortoise, I feel like is a pen that is just absolutely made for um, 
the RK Alt Gold Green. I think that is just the perfect ink for this particular pen because there's it just matches. Everything just kind of works together. Um, although I would say Old Gold Rune is probably a better fit for the other pelican I lent you, the M450 Green Tortoise, because that one's slightly more green, the acrylic. More green than gold, as it were. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so Old Gold Rune in that one with an extra fine flex nib. This one, the turquoise, has an extra fine, has an extra fine nib and is, I think, inked with Lamy Turquoise, which I um, I'm a big fan of Lamy Turquoise um, as an ink, uh, whether it's coming in the Turquoise bottle or whether it's coming in the Pacific Blue bottle. I'm a big fan of the Lamy Turquoise ink. I just think it's such a great, um, great writing ink. And I, I also really quite like it after it's been left in a pen for a while. It just gets more uh, more vibrant. It has a lot more depth to it. And I know that's just evaporation, but it just looks more complex and it looks more interesting. And then the last one that I have, which is my kind of jaw dropper for this year, is the M600 Red Tortoise. So it's quite bright red and um, my lighting's terrible, but it's actually quite bright red. And so the cap is a very deep red colour, um, and it's just like red red. It's brick red. It's kind of just like a stock standard red. It is just a red. <laughs> I don't know. It's not It's not too warm. It's not too cool. It is kind of just one of the, the primary red colour, but the body of it is quite orange, and uh, Leo is also showing me his. Um, the body of it's quite orange, so it's not translucent, unlike any of the other binds that uh, Pelican does. So I hear that is a big fault and a big no-no for some people. They're really against the inability to not see the ink flow, uh, oh, sorry, the ink level in this pen. But I think this pen is uh, just Oh, it's jaw-droppingly gorgeous. And um, I have it linked with Pelican Edelstein Garnet, which is a very good match for this pen. Like, I think it is almost a perfect match for this pen because that the Garnet ink is um, a real shader and it's quite coppery in tone. It looks a bit like dried blood. <laughs> looks a bit like dried blood. Um, a bit watered down. It's got something very rustic about it. So yeah, that's what I'm writing with. We do have a piece of feedback from the last couple of weeks and um, I thought I'd read it. This lovely person, they emailed us and said, hello to everyone at the nib section. I would appreciate you not reading my name out on the podcast if you do read this email. I just wanted to say thank you for the podcast. I recently discovered your podcast and I'm currently doing a one-year placement at a very, very, very toxic workplace. Your podcast and my little connection of fountain pens are the only bright spot of my work life. I've almost finished all your episodes and I'm sure I will keep replaying them. Thank you for all the work that you do. This podcast has been a great comfort in what has, for many reasons, been a very difficult year. Thank you. Um, I was quite touched by this piece of feedback, even though we were on hiatus for most of 2020. We did make an effort to get back on air um, because this is important to us and also maintaining that continuity is also important to us. And it's it's really great to know that it makes a tangible difference in some people's lives. Um, I'm pretty sure the last year, the, the year we will not name again, um, was difficult for a lot of us. Any small thing that we can do to make it a little bit better, that's great to know. So... 
On with the main topic of the week, which is our brand focus on Pelican. Um, perhaps we can ask the first question, which is what was it that got each of you into Pelican? Let me broach that question to Sharon first. What was it that drew you to Pelican to begin with? I think I've shared this in a, one of the previous episodes, but uh, my first gold nib pen was a Pelican M400 White Tortoise. And it was very early on, I think it was 2004, 2005, when I got my first one, um, when uh, Pelican hadn't gotten um, their manufacturing of white acrylic down pat. So that generation of white Pelicans was very prone to cracking. And my entire pen has now been replaced about two two or three times over. Um, I think the nib is still the same. It might be the same. In spirit, I still own that pen. The ship Theseus of pelicans. Something like that, yes. Um, It was my first ever um, gold nib pen. And I remember the thing that really attracted me to it was the design and, in particular, the white tortoise colour scheme. You didn't see many white pens um, back then. It was very, very rare to see a white pen. And like more so than that, you didn't see a white pen with this really interesting tortoise shell um, finish. It has a lot of um, character to it, and each one of them were different. It also had a lot of issues at the time, um, not just from the white uh, acrylic, but the actual binding itself used to change colour when you inked it with like different types of ink. It would actually uh, it would come out originally very uh, golden. It'd be quite a golden um, acrylic. But then once you inked it for an extended period of time with dark colours, it would gradually turn brown. So, you know, is it is it a feature or is it a bug? <laughs> um, I didn't know any of that. But at the time, I just remember thinking, oh, my gosh, this is such a very good looking pen. And I want one of these because I've never seen any other pen that looks like this. And down the rabbit hole I went. How about you, Tav? What was it that initially got you into Pelican? Oh, actually, it was a um, it was an old Pelican 400 that I bought. Um, I think on eBay because um, I was just this was just like early in my Pelican well in my fountain pen career. I was looking for anything vintage, and this was like I think a one of the earlier editions. Um, I still got it. I still got it. It works beautifully. Um, but I think it came with the wrong nib. I think it came with a, a nib that was a little small. Like, it still fits, but it looks a little short. Um, but from what I've been able to see, it looked like it was a very early model. And I really lucked out on it. Um, and I really enjoyed it. I thought it looked beautiful. I thought it wrote beautifully. Um, it was one of my first custom grinds as well, because the actual uh, tipping on the nib was not very well shaped. So I reground it to be a sub. Uh, it looks like it maybe had worn out over time. And uh, from then, I don't remember what my second one was, but I now have quite a few. I've got the classic M600s in the blue colour and the red colour. I have a vibrant orange um, M600. I have an M800 in the classic green with a 20-carat gold nib that I found on an obscure website. <laughs> Uh, I was, I was, uh, I just saw that, 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 uh, 20 carat nib. I thought, oh, that looks really cool. Um, I have a, a blue M805 with the italic broad nib. And I also have an, I've got an, uh, eventually I got into like the colorful ones. 
which were the you know the, the ocean swirl and the vibrant blue. I just fell in love with those. Um, and I eventually got one from um, uh, I think it was Dan Smith, uh, the Nib Smith, uh, the M eight one O. I think it is. I, I don't know, uh, Leo. Maybe you'll know. It's the metal striped one oh, with the metal. Oh, M eight one five. That's the one, and that's got a double broad, and I fell in love with that one. That was oh, that's a gorgeous pen. That's probably my favorite pelican right now. And what, are you drawn to them because of how they look or how they write or the fact that they come in so many colours? I, I think all of those things. I, I like, But I like each one because it has a story. You know, I've got two of them that I bought um, while I was on holidays. I've got one of them that I just think looks amazing and it looks unusual, the metal stripe one. I think it looks very striking. Uh, someone who saw it once just went, that is a bougie pen, you know, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious because it is. Um uh, you know, the vintage one I love, I have um, either they have an amazing nib or they look amazing and also have an amazing nib. I don't have any pelicans that don't have a great nib. Um, so, yeah, uh, I mean, I, p- listeners of this podcast would know that my collection is mostly comprised of pens that I enjoy the uniqueness of. So there's something about it that makes it, that sets it apart from any other random pen you could pick up. How about you, Leo? Uh, I think my first Pelican was... I bought it within the first year of pens, of, like, playing with the pens, and it was maybe my fifth or sixth. And it was a M215, uh, the black one with steel nib, and came in, like, three different finishes that I think is out of production. And I remember back then, I was still trying out different brands, and I wanted, like, an entry-level uh, Pelican fountain pen, to, to try out and so I went to a store and said oh yeah I want that one because it's within my budget and I remember the the store owner also showing me oh you should also try these other uh, pelicans that are slightly larger and more expensive and I remember holding them uh, holding them and thinking these are very light why, why, why would I pay so much for, 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 for such a light pen like, especially this M1000 thing it's so big but feels very plasticky and so I didn't care about it too much um, until a few years later, I met uh, the bad people, the people with lots of pelicans and other pens, and I, and I tried their M800, and I was like, oh, wow. And it has these big fat nibs, because he also brought along like piles of, of, of O3Bs, BBs, OBBs, and um, then I started chasing M800 fat nibs and so I have a lot of green stripe M800s just because I didn't care about the body and I was just chasing the nib and also related to the Pelican was a Pelican Pelican was also the first pen that took me down the deep dark hole of collecting pens instead of just using them because I was in a, um, a dodgy part of town and in some second-hand store, when I saw um, a guy just, just with a tray and a glass display case, and I was like, oh, wait, that's an M100. All right. Um, how much is it? Oh, like, that's a little cheap. Can I take a look? Because obviously the guy only cared about the, the Mont Blancs on show, like, but, but he priced everything the same. And I took a look at it, and it was an M900 Toledo with a, also a 20C nib. 
that, that, that uh, Tav has mentioned earlier. And I tried to get everyone else to buy it so I wouldn't have to spend the money. But it turns out that this is pretty much a standard pen amongst all pen collectors. And so I was forced to um, go to the ATM and, and, and get some money. And to this day... Forced. Yes, I had no choice. Oh. It, for that price... The suffering. The pain. Like, it had the sticker and the tag, like M920C. Um, you will buy this grail pen or you'll see what happens next. Yes. I was even like, I will go have dinner first and if it's still here, I'll get it. Like I gave, I gave the whole world a full two hours to, to like buy it instead of me. Um, yeah. And now like three years later, it's still an inked, but I take it out and like play around with it a while. <laughs> Every once in a while. You play around with it without inking it? Yeah, you. He takes it you, out and strokes it like he would pack it Yes. <laughs> So oh, okay, you, kind of make weird, you yeah. speak the piston down, and then you get your loop, and you look at the piston, like, oh, that's still new old stock. There's no ink stains here, and then you put, and then you, and then you twist it back up, and you put it <laughs> back in. Because the pixies have been playing around with it while it's been yes. in its box. So something interesting that um, I've just learned is that the model that most of you guys collect is the Suvaran model, I believe. And I don't think that has been in production for really all that long. Um, and maybe more research will prove me otherwise. But what I can tell is that um, the Suvarant was only manufactured initially in the 1980s. So from the early 1980s. But something that is very, very valued among collectors for Pelicans is that there is a very strong continuity between old models from like the 30s to modern Pelicans, which are um, still in manufacture today. So my initial um, forays into Pelican was a very, very vintage model, which was the, uh, what's it called? It's the Pelican 400 NN, which is a it's a very small like M two hundred size pelican, also a piston filler, and it was uh, this brown tortoise color. It's quite pretty, and to the uninitiated, it would look only slightly different to something like um, a brown tortoise if they made brown tortoise M two hundreds or four hundreds today. So there's a very strong um, design that is only slightly tweaked across the decades. So for a collector, I think that's something that you really value and appreciate. Um, so I had that 400 NN with the, uh, I think it had a Kugel nib. So the ball uh, tipped nib, which is very, very firm. It's meant to replicate a ballpoint nib. And I really did not like that nib. And it resulted in me not really liking the pen very much either. So um, knowing that it was quite collectible, I ended up selling it. My second Pelican was an 805 Strassmann. Kept it for about two weeks before I sold it on. It was not to my taste. <laughs> it, I think it was a, an M-nib. Um, I found it to be a little bit too big for my hand. The nib was very uninspired. And while I... I appreciated the the looks. It wasn't, it really wasn't, it didn't speak to me. It didn't sing. Um, and I thought the, the appearance was very, very masculine. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that, but it, it wasn't my kind of pen. So I think that's really all I've had of Pelican over the years. 
And, you've had a white. Um, you've had a white pelican as well. Yes. You oh have. yes, I have a. I have an M two hundred clear um, that I replaced the steel nib with a um, a gold fine nib that I bought on its own, um, and that was my first and only M two hundred or the M four hundred size. I really did not like. No, you also had an M four hundred white tortoise as well when I first met you. Are you sure? Yes, because I have a photo of it somewhere or I can find a photo of it somewhere where you had it clipped onto your Hobonichi pen loop. And I even remember the Hobonichi um, cover. It was the Jess and Jean cover from 2016 or 15. A6 size. There is a photo out there. Prove me wrong. Prove my memory wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Someone, someone find, locate that photo. Okay. Shows how much I remember of pelicans. I don't even know if that was in my collection ever. <laughs> it's no longer in my collection. Um, I think what it's taught me is that the 400 size is just too small and too light for me. So, yes, that's what's come in and gone out of my collection over the years. And um, none of them left a particularly strong impression. So I'm still trying to sell my M200. If I sell it, I sell it. If I don't... It's in my to sell pile, so it's very neatly out of my count list, so it's no longer making my 100. <laughs> it's giving me no trouble. I can just forget it's even there. But that's my status on pelicans. And for this episode, Sharon kindly lent me the, um, the M605 white stripe, as I've mentioned before, and she also lent me this 405. Is it 405 or 450? 450. 450. The four, yeah, the 450 um, tortoise. So this is the one that has the gold foil cap or the gold vermeil cap and um, piston turning knob and the greenish gold um, cellulose, cellulose um, barrel, which is translucent. And I can talk about that a little bit later, but um, any thoughts uh, from you guys about what it is that you think is the Pelican brand identity. Um, Is it a particular design that you naturally associate with Pelican? Do you think that's what makes them popular? I think like, like many brands, they've, they've kind of gone with something uh, like a a specific design, which is unique uh, or at least was at the time. I think there are a few kind of um, copycat brands out there that kind of look a little bit like they kind of take that, square-ended look a little bit, um, but they've just ran with it. They've gone, okay, this works. We're just going to keep doing it. We're not going to particularly try and, and, and break any new ground. This design is lovely. We're going to play around with the colors, and people will like it or people might not like it. I, I think that uh, Lamy is kind of the same in that. They've they've got a classic design. They change the color. People like the new colors, and it works. And do you think that... Um, lack of exploration is, um, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it, obviously. Pelicans, um, there's, I know quite a few uh, pelican collectors who stick to one particular size or one particular model and then they just want all the pelicans in that model. Um, a friend of the pod in Brisbane, I believe, has almost every single pelican souverain um, or modern one that has been in production since the 80s. And I think if you're 
a collector of Pelican, there's really no end to it. You, you know they're going to be producing these pens for quite a while. <laughs> I think it's a, a safe investment because if you know you like the pen and you know you like the nib, not much changes other than just the colour. And unless they come out with another spectacular white acrylic cracking issue, like they've kind of gone through that. They've gone through all of the teething issues across uh, how they make the pen, what components they need, and how do they make the nibs. So you know what you're going to get. When you buy a Pelican, you know what you're going to get. You know that's going to be a wet writer. You're not going to get a Pelican that's extremely dry. You're going to get something that's quite smooth. Oh, look, yeah, I think I think they have the potential to be very wet writers because the feeds are very wet. But if the nib is too, like if the slit's quite narrow, uh, I've I've seen some pretty horrendous, you know, misaligned or really scratchy, rough, um, and dry pelicans. Um, so, I mean, look, I, I, I think, I, I take your point, though. Like, you know, they have the potential, like like Visconti's, to be extremely wet, but they have to be, uh, the slit has to be the right alignment for that to actually occur. We don't put Pelican and Visconti into the same sentence. Sorry, <laughs> it's sorry. Chalk, it's chalk sorry. and cheese. Sorry, it's chalk sorry, and cheese sorry, because sorry, sorry. as a whole, um, and I don't, again, this probably goes to buyer's luck or, um in particular, your misfortune tab. I don't think it's just misfortune because um, when Annabelle talks about the brands that she most often has issues with, I'm pretty sure those two are both up there. Really? So I've mm. I own X, where X is over 20. I don't, don't actually know the exact number. I own over 20 Pelicans and I have owned more than that in the past. Like I have had more than... Uh, more than my fair share come in and out of my hands and I have not had a single issue with pelican with pelican nibs in particular their nibs uh, with their bodies and obviously the cracking thing my bobby yes I've had issues with pelicans but never in their nibs and I can say that I think almost all of them have tended towards the rather wet writing side. I, that's why I put inks like Lamy, I put Pelican, I put Graphon Faber-Castell inks in there. Uh, I put that insipid violet blue that you don't like into that pen because I find that the drier writing inks are the ones that suit the Pelican pens the best. I never put a sailor ink into a Pelican. I just wouldn't because I don't particularly want to, you know, have a hose on my page. I don't really want to be writing with that. But as a whole, I, I've found that they're fairly consistent for me, for me, my experiences, across the nib sizes below B. I've, I think I that's only own one B. Sharon, that's why. That could um, be why. I don't believe in nib sizes above B. I think um, we have to sort of consider like which model we're talking about because I think the mm. M, like like the steel nibs and the M four hundred slash M six hundred sizes, uh, are reasonably like average wetness. Um, the M eight hundred modern ones seem to be a little on the dry side, and the M one thousands are pretty wet. But also, older M eight hundreds are a little wetter than modern M eight hundreds, so it, it it's a little tough, but like to explain. Oh. You can't just say pelicans are wet because, like, it depends which which model, which size, yeah, and like era you you got to talk about. Yeah, and the difference between each individual feed, even if they're really manufactured to high tolerances, there's such they can be such a tiny little difference 
in one M800's feed that can might that'll make it a fire hose. Like my M815 is very wet. Um, admittedly, I did open the slit up a little bit, but it was wet. It was very wet when I first um, got it. So, mm. but I think you can you can make comments about them as a group. So like common traits. I think they have more in common with each other than, you know, a pelican and, say, a nakaya, right? Um, even though there's variation between pelican feeds, there's certainly something they have in common with each other. I tend to classify pens based on their, like, potential to be wet rather than whether they actually are because sometimes the nib will come with the tines a bit too close together or a bit too wide apart. Um, for example, I found that nakaya pens no matter how like far apart you pull the tines and this is similar with platinum pens as well they're not extremely wet unless you use an extremely wet uh ink but with pelican uh the m1000 for example will pretty much drip ink onto the page if you if you if you widen the tines uh far enough you know because they're because they have a very wet feed and that's one of the reasons that's kind of one of my grail pens but i just I want one that's a little unusual, not just the green or the black one, you know. So people who like them like them because they're reliable. Well, you know what you're getting with Pelican. They're more or less consistent, at least in terms of build, maybe not so much in terms of nib necessarily. And when you get the M800, at least, you know that you're probably going to get a nib that has the potential to be very, very, very wet, more so than most other brands. Is that a good summary? Yeah. I mean, the, um, not as wet, as Leo was saying, as the M1000, but decently wet, wetter than your average pen, I guess. Those are things we tend to like. Um, what I don't like about pelicans, I will say it because I'm the only one who tends not to like them so much. Um, I don't like the nibs. I find the nibs very unpleasant um, in general to write with. I don't like how glassy they are and they don't work so well with the papers I like to use. When I first started using Pelicans, I was writing on a lot of Clairefontaine and Rhodia paper, and that the coating on that would just make my Pelicans skip and glide all over the place. It was like, um, I don't know, like writing with oil, and it just made me hate the experience of writing with it. And another thing I don't like about them is in general, the the weight. Um, I haven't found a size and a body that is both a weight and a distribution and a size in my hand that is really, really comfortable for me. So of the two that Sharon lent me, the one I lean towards more heavily is the M600 size. Um, And I found that really well balanced. But the pen overall is just too light. Um, to me, it feels like, like like I'm barely holding anything at all. And um, I end up having to press quite a bit more than I like to on the nib because the weight of the, the pen itself is not enough um, to yield a decent line. Um, and the M450, which is heavier, is now too small and a little bit back heavy in my hands. So maybe um, one day they will come out with a M600 size that is overall a little bit heavier. Um, maybe they'll put more metal in the front in the, uh, the section where you hold it um, and that will make it more balanced and more weighty in my hand. But until that happens, there is no perfect pelican for me. There, naysaying over. 
I was just going to say, I think your opinion, uh, your opinions are entirely valid. I think they have a, a very particular shape. Um, they can be very polarizing. They have very round, broad nibs. That's not for everyone. They're very smooth. They don't have the feedback of some Eastern pens like Platinum and Sailor. Um, you know, they, some people don't like them, the M800, because it has a lot of weight in the brass piston mechanism in the back. Some people don't like the smaller ones because they feel too light and because they have a plastic piston mechanism, which some people think is a, a, a sort of a faux, a faux pas. Um, but I think they have their particular design and they're tenacious. I think the company's probably run by some people that go, you know what? Um, we're doing what, what's worked for the past, uh, you know, nearly a hundred years. And if you don't like it, you can uh, go buy a Mont Blanc. <laughs> so. Well, Mont Blanc has, it's the same thing where they have models that they've rarely strayed from or strayed only very slightly from over several decades. Yeah, those are the ones I love. <laughs> But Mont Blanc also does a lot of special editions. They venture out of that comfort zone a lot more than Pelican, I think. Pelican, That's they true. do special editions, but they tend to be 1,000s. And the only difference is, you know, like the applique, the, the, the finish, you know, whether it's Raden or Urushi or whatever, um, new colors. They don't tinker with the model, the shape of their pen so much. Yes. Like most of my collection is M800s. Uh, mm. And they're all boring, striped or plain bodied but um one of them are the m900 the toledo is a little bit different because it's got a very heavy body uh but some people don't like the fact that the metal bind is directly touching the double ring as in there's no separation of black between the the, the metal body and the two rings in the back and also i've also got um sometime in the past 20 years they've Pelican also has, has also done like M800 basis pens that weren't as M800 shaped. Like um, there was a trio of like calculation of times, fire, um, mm, yes. and I, I forgot the pen. Was, there was a was there the Atlas this one? This is the script evolution of script. There we go. Ah. And then they have the Seven Wonders, which are all those are wild. Oh, that's right. Yes, yes. The yeah, those are not yeah, user friendly in any way. They, they, I mean, I think many brands, not all, but many brands just have this time where they just go, you know what, we're just going to make this ridiculous pen. We're going to get this thing and we're going to turn it into a pen. And I think ST DuPont and Pelican have done that and Mont Blanc to an extent as well. Um, but I think, you know, in fairness, there are other brands around the world that have done the sa- have had the same sort of formula. Um, Sailor. I feel has done that. Pilot has a large diversity of different models and shapes, but I find Sailor has its so two, has main, two things. main shapes. Yeah, it has two main shapes, but it's the same sort of idea. It has a shape or, or two different designs that are quite that that it's just gone with. You know, it doesn't really release anything else. And and when they did a couple of other designs, like the Promenade and the um, there was another one. Uh, the the, the I can't remember what it is. The, the uh, Baccarole. No, the, the Baccarole, oh. uh, I think they call it. Um, it's it's kind of a metal one. It's got the same nib as the uh, Sapporo. But that didn't do well and the Promenade didn't do well. And so they've just kept to their same formula. Uh, this isn't a criticism, by the way. It's just I think they've found what works for them. Like some companies 
have a formula they stick to and some like to have a bit more of a diversity. I it's almost like like jazz music. Some people have a formula they stick to. Some people just like to go and do whatever. I think that safeness is definitely something that is a feature of Pelican. And while it's great, um, if you happen to like that model that they make, you know, you, you may be inspired to get more of them because you know they'll perform the same as the one you already like. It also means that for people like me who do not necessarily like the model that they're obsessed with, it means that there's no other entry point for me, you know, to get into Pelicans, unlike with even Mont Blancs, you know, if you don't like the Meisterstück model, there are all sorts of models, like the Bohème, as Sharon always likes to mention, or, um, you know, their Heritage 1912, or various other, the, the snake, um, the, the, what's it called? The, the Rouge et Noir, or the ones with the snakes and the spiders. So that I think there's a lot more um, options. There's a lot more diversity in their range. But speaking of that uh, feature, that fact that they don't tend to innovate so much, I gather that most of you don't see that as a problem. Um, you know, as long as they put out one or two new colors um, in two different models every year, they can keep going as they are for at least another decade, I reckon. But do you think that's a a safe strategy in the long term? I personally think so, yeah. Like, I, I bet you in 10 years' time, Pelican and Sailor are still going to be <laughs> different colored shape yeah. sticks, and we'll still be talking about them. Like, whoa, did you see the shiny body on, on that one? The sparkle <laughs> size, the, the, the grain size is different on those sparkles. It's revolutionary. And this like, one has gold sparkles. I know the previous one had silver. This has gold. Yep. The, the, the side effect of that is that my opinion will never change because if they do nothing different, then there's nothing new for me to comment yes. on. I'm really sure they're never going to make like the, the Goldilocks sides for, for your hand, unfortunately. I think, they, I think they, they're, they're, they're making that sacrifice that it's not for everyone. Um, but what I'm remembering also is that they have tried to branch out into different models. They did try the, the Pura, which is an unusual one. And there was another one which was like the... Uh, the more expensive version of the Pura, and it had a almost a the the nib looked almost like the Lamy Aeon's nib. It was this unusual winged nib, um, and the it was cartridge only, which may have contributed to its downfall. And it was like the Mont Blanc Traveler, the one four seven, where you would load you would t- you would unscrew the back, and there would be this little kind of rail system or this little holder a little cage where you would place a cartridge almost like a like 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 a rifle cartridge or something and you would screw it back it's discontinued though so yeah, and it's discontinued, it discontinued kind of for a reason because the one time that they tried to innovate well most times that pelican has tried to innovate outside of their bread and butter souverain range uh, has not gone so well so the pure is one example and then the other one the pure is the pure is on sale at larry post right now um <laughs> i think 195 dollars australian okay for so a steel it's, nib. So it's be discontinued and then the other one which they came out with uh, that was meant to make a big splash was the Pregnant, pregnant Suvaram, the pregnant pelican, uh, M640. Oh, Wait, oh, oh, is that what you're calling okay. Oh, my gosh. Pregnant pelican. The bulge. <laughs> what? Were you you gonna have call one of those, the, don't you, Sharon? I have almost the entire set. But were you going to call it, what, the beer belly pelican? Like, whoa. It's the pregnant pelican. Okay, maybe the beer belly pelican. There you go. The, the beer uh, belly pelican. 
the rubbed rub the Buddha on its tummy um, pelican M640, the bulge, and you know that that was not that far out from the Suvaran range. It's really not that different from the actual Suvaran range, but people still rioted. <laughs> Because they said we can't accept a pen that's got a bulge in it. What happened to the streamlined? Um, what happened to the streamlined six hundred? And you know what? I might actually lend you one of those to try die because those were metal bodies. Those were like pseudo metal bodies. I was still really tempted with the M six forty Mount Everest. I think that was at they had one of those at penultimate at one point. Mm, so I like the, the the pattern. The white. Yeah, oh, the, no, I like the, the cracked ice. So the Mount Everest. Yeah, that was nice too. I was going to say, I really liked the look of those, like the colour, the patterns on them, but I couldn't, I, I was on the verge of buying one of the Mount Everest ones because they had this beautiful You don't like the bulge. Like, gold. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't get over <laughs> the, the barrel-shaped pen, you know, the barrel-shaped barrel. Was, yeah. Oh. Um, but like, the, one I was, the reason I brought up the Pura is because I think Pelican deviated from their formula. They went, oh, that didn't sell well. We'll discontinue that. We'll just keep doing what has worked for nearly a century. You know, and I feel like some brand, maybe maybe it's equal parts, maybe their design department doesn't do so well with a different style, or it could just be that people have grown to expect this design from Pelican, and if you know, if you if you deviate from that, people are like, well, I'm, well, if I want a different design, I'll go get go get a different brand. If I want this shaped pen, I'll go to a different brand. I go to Pelican for my very straight cylindrical. Understated pelicans. Um, so going around the panel, um, perhaps if you could give your favourite model from Pelican across their entire history, um, you know, 80-odd years, and also your favourite nib from Pelican. Let's start with Sharon. Oh, that's a hard one. Um, so it, I don't think my favourite model or favourite Pelican pen exists yet. I am waiting. So I like the M600 model. I think it's a very good size. Um, but I am particularly partial to the older, the M400 before they became m 400 I don't actually, I think it's just the 400 without the M. And the nib in particular on those, I have one, I have one or two of them. The nibs on those have so much character. They have a lot more character than what you see on a Pelican nowadays. So I kind of agree with you in that when you write with a Pelican nib, it's, there's, it's not that interesting until you get up to the M1000 range, if you're talking about a modern-day Pelican. Um, but back then, the nibs had a lot more character. They um, were they weren't as glassy smooth. So a lot of the traits that you would associate with a Pelican nowadays, like you know, having glassy smooth um, a pen, having it be very stiff, None of those features were actually present in those older nibs. Um, and, yeah, they're, they're very, very pleasant to write with. Um, and they're also interchangeable with modern modern M400s. So that's a huge upside. They'll probably be my favourite model. I have one, one or two of them in the brown tortoise. So I know, Sharon, you don't like switching your nibs onto different pen bodies. You're um, morally adverse to that in concept. Ah. But have you ever <laughs> have you ever done it? switched an old, a vintage 400 nib onto a new body? I have. I have. Um, I don't do it often. I'm not a purist when it comes to keeping, like, nibs of the same brand into in the same body. Um, I mean, I switch sailors, I switch pilots, I switch 
I switch a lot of those nibs around, and Pelican nibs are designed to be switched around. So I have done it. Um, I have a particular, I have a particular few Pelican pens that I just like writing with, and it's a combination of how they look, how it kind of makes me feel when I look at them. So, for instance, the M605 that I lent you, the white transparent, that is my favorite M600 pen next to the white tortoise. I like the M600 white tortoise, but that's just because I like the white tortoise as a whole. But that M605, the white transparent, is basically my favorite model that they've come out with because um, it hits all the right spots for me and there's something about it that really, really speaks to me. So I might switch out different nibs or something, but I always, pretty much always use that pen. How about you, Leo? Favorite model and favorite nib? I think I have... 20 odd M800 bodies from around the house in bags or in trays. Um, You're not fussed about which one? <laughs> yeah, I, I have a lot, but I just use like the same one or two bodies and I just swap. The rest are just nib holders, like, like literally nib holders. And, and, and so the different colored bodies usually indicate what sort of nib they have inside. Unless it's a green one, and then I, I, I have to guess. Um, but my favorite M800 models would be like either the uh, red stripe or the um, the tortoiseshell, tortoiseshell brown, uh, both discontinued, and I like them because they're discontinued, but they look really nice in photos, especially if you flash, or like if you bounce flash off the ceiling, um, it's very pretty, and they're very eye-catching, and usually I have a fat nib in them, either the modern IB or an old OBB. From yeah. Why the M800, not the M1000, Leo? I think the M1, oh, okay. uh, the M800 has slightly more history than the M1000. Um, the M800 has at least three to four generations of stuff to collect, and three to four generations of nibs, like, like slightly different nibs. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it's got. There is a hit list that I can like just follow to like chase stuff down, and, and that's what I get. Um, that's how I get my rocks off. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> the satisfaction of completing like oh here's here's all the nib sizes from this generation but it can't be too easy yeah yeah, yeah. like it can't be modern because modern is too easy i just buy them that, that's not fun you have to like find it in the corner dark corner of an alleyway you know that, that, that that's all stuff <laughs> <laughs> someone in the trench coat like hey yes super rad it's more about the journey and not so much about the final result how about you tav um it's really hard to say. I mean, actually, Leo, I just want to say like, that's a really good point. Um, probably one of the reasons I've never really been drawn to the M1000. Like, the nibs are so cool. I love them. They're bouncy. They're super wet. Um, they used to come in a triple broad that was just like, oh, that's my thing. That's absolutely my thing. That does it for me so much. But, they, you know, you can get a demonstrator. You can get one in Stresemann gray. You can get one in black. You can get one in green. It's like, yeah. You know, not, not very inspired. Whereas, you know, I've got my Ocean Swirl, which I, I can just marvel at. When I first got it, I just looked at it for a solid hour. It was just so beautiful. And the, the, you turn it over in different lightings. And, yeah. So I would say my – I couldn't say favorite would be either the M815 because it just looks striking in a very kind of – well, as, as someone I used to know, uh, put it, a bougie way. It feels really interesting. Um, it's got some nice tactile 
sensations of the stripes. It feels really weighty in the hand. And of course, it's got a beautiful nib on it, which is also my favorite nib, which is the double broad. I'm sure my favorite would be the triple broad if I could find one. But unfortunately, they're as rare as hen's teeth. Uh, so if anybody knows where I could get one, please let me know. Um, if it's in a back alleyway, as Leo said, I would uh, probably go to a back alley to find one because uh, I really want one. Or it would be my ocean swirl. I thought I was going to like the vibrant blue more because that color is my favorite. That's like my favorite color. But the depth of the color in the ocean swirl is just mesmerizing, quite literally mesmerizing. And it also has the same nib as the M815 that I have, which is, again, a double broad, which, you know, so. I think for a lot of people in the fountain chem community, uh, Pelican is mostly well known for its annual um, celebration of fountain pens event that they hold which is the Pelican Hubs. I think a lot of people really, this was their entry point to meeting other people who know about fountain pens. I've spoken to quite a few people um, in Europe and around the world who did not know that fountain pen meets were a thing until um, they found out about the Pelican Hubs and went to their first hub and met other pen people. Um, the Pelican Hubs are something that Pelican is very well known for. What does everyone think about the hubs? Like Leo, I've spoken to you several times before about your experience as a hub master. Um, what do you think about them? Um, I think it's a pretty cool, like if you're organizing my aims, were to, oh, hey, cool, Pelican basically encourage, is encouraging people to meet up and I take it as an excuse to bring the community together and just have a get together that might be slightly Pelican sponsored but I don't make it like the central point of the gathering because in the end, it's still the people coming here who are paying for like helping pay for the, uh, for the location. And then I just organize some stuff and then like a few events. And then if you give them two hours to just walk around and talk, that's all you need because like a lot of people don't actually know that you can just sit down and just talk to other people for like two hours straight on, on like table, good lighting, lots of space to, 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 to have your elbows and, and like pens and, and, and pads around and then you have fun and then you kick them out at 10 o'clock because um you gotta give the location back sharon what do you think about them do you like the hubs as a concept i do i do like the hubs as a concept i think it's a good excuse to get everyone all in well to get such a large gathering but i guess with that also comes its difficulties in that the gatherings the pelican hubs at least in um in sydney have gotten uh overwhelmingly large um to the point where i think our last one we had 50 or 60 attendees registered and it's very hard to find a venue and also to find um to find someone who's willing to organize for that many people um you know hong kong's very lucky that they have leo as such a dedicated hub master but um I think a lot of the meets, at least in Sydney, um, have traditionally been done over a meal and a drink, if I can put it that way. Mm, it, hel it helps that. get the um, conversation going and it feels a lot more natural. We, we're not just in a room talking about pens. Um, and that's the general vibe. So, if, you know, if anyone were to ever come to Australia, once the borders reopen or come to Sydney, please, we'd love to take you out you know, for 
a meal and a drink and we can talk some pens. Like, more than happy to do that. But given the restrictions on size and um, finding somewhere that's appropriate that will cater to the meal, the drink, the pen, the inks, and good lighting is very, very... On a, sat- on a Friday night. On a Friday night is really hard. It, it's really, really hard. Um, I love the concept of it, and I did miss last year's one because it is the single largest pen meet uh, of any year, like guaranteed. And um, I really did miss the one last year due to, you know, the year that we don't speak about. But... Um, yeah, unfortunately, uh, I I think it's a good entry point, but I also think there it is very overwhelming. If that is your first ever pen meet, that's overwhelming, really overwhelming. I really like them. I think they're great. I mean, yes, they're very clever marketing, but I think they're also a great gateway for uh, many new people to fountain pens. Maybe they've bought a, a Pelican ink and then, and then they've been invited to the Pelican Hub and they've gone, oh, that sounds fun. For example, um, Sophia Lee uh, from Fountain Pens Oceania, who was one of the driving forces, main driving forces behind the Sydney Pen Show. Um, and she's been an active member of the community. She's been, you know, she's been a great friend to many people. So, and, and I think, I seem to recall, I might be mistaken, but my first experience with her was when she came as a relative newbie to a Pelican Hub with a Jinhao, I think she, she had. Of course, they're an opportunity to get a nice bottle of ink a uh, bottle of free ink um, that sometimes, like personally, I haven't used a lot of the inks. I've usually just gifted them to friends, um, and that's been kind of a little catalyst for them getting into the inks as well and to getting into the fountain pen hobby. Here's my controversial take. Uh, maybe it's not so controversial, um, but I think it needs to be said. The Pelican Hubs, I think they first started in 2014, thereabouts. Um, so they've been going around eight years or so. And um, especially in the last four or three or four years, they've become very, very popular. You know, several, um, I think almost 100 locations around the world nowadays. Um, last, Last time in 2019, I think Sydney had about seven different locations, you know, in a population of 26 million. Um, I think we did pretty well. But I think as they've become more popular, they've sort of been the victim of their own success. Because the early hubs, they introduced fountain pen users to one another. They allowed this groundswell, um, this community to be developed. And in bringing these people together, other associations, other communities were created through that process. So, you know, we don't meet just at the Pelican Hubs now. There are more shows in various cities around the world. Um, In Sydney, we have what we used to have monthly meetups um, during the day. And so as they become more and more popular, I think their relative importance to the community as a whole has decreased. I think they're still valuable as a sort of an outreach, you know, to bring new people on board. But um, for those of us who've been going for a long time, they're not so significant in our diaries anymore. Let's just put it that way. Unless, I guess, if you're a really hardcore collector of Pelican. I think my first Pelican was definitely the most memorable. The second one, I was a co-hub master. And that was just a feverish night of me basically pipetting inks all day. So I didn't really get to enjoy that so much. But I still think they're a great way for newbies to 
really meet to be exposed to the community, even if it is quite of a shock sometimes if you're meeting like 60, 70 people all at once. But it's still very well publicized in general. Even if you've never been to a meet before, this is probably the one that you're most likely to hear about from your stationery store, your um, local dealer of fountain pens, and they might invite you or let you know about them so you can register yourself. Yeah, but at the same time, I do think that it does need to evolve, perhaps, um, if we want to keep them going. And I think we've talked about that in 2019, um, what we think the Pelican Hubs need to do more of, perhaps, to really get good hubmasters to provide sufficient uh, support and um, information and flexibility to the hubmasters to make it successful in their own local uh, city. So that's my thoughts on the pubs. I think there's one thing that we haven't spoken so much about. We've mentioned that Pelican started out as a company that mainly made inks, um, including fountain pen inks. They didn't start making fountain pens until I think the 30s. But Pelican inks are still a very large um, part of their business. And I think Pelican inks in general, um, there's very little bad things you can say about them, Uh, especially their 4001 range, which is both... Uh, reasonably priced and very well performing. Tav has, you know, sung their praises on multiple occasions in the past, especially their Iron Gall. Um, am I remembering this correctly, yeah, Tav? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, their uh, Blue Black is an Iron Gall that's very gentle on pens. Um, it's a bit of a dry rider, but I like it because, you know, it's permanent uh, or mostly permanent. It's not quite as permanent as your, your pigment inks, but I like it. It's a business ink you know it's good to use on documents it very rarely feathers um it's good for vintages too so yeah you're right i have sung their praises it's a very good old style old-fashioned ink and i don't think they've really changed their formulas for their 4001 inks uh, for many many years like the turquoise in the 4001 range is excellent like sharon says she loves the lamy turquoise but i think the 4001 turquoise is basically the same um, and it's Cheaper. Big to differ. It is cheaper. It's also drier. While I like the 4001 range, um, the turquoise is not one of my favourites. My favourite in that range is the purple, actually. And their Edelstone range, um, the premium gemstone range, um, I don't think they've ever fallen into the trap of producing too many at once or of being too much hype-driven. So recently they've started getting into the glitter inks and with reasonable success i suppose but in general they've produced pretty safe in my opinion fairly boring inks um with a few which are you know paler more colorful i have the entire range except for amber amber's the only one i'm missing um aquamarine was my least no actually no that's a lie i didn't mind aquamarine i think you have to be in a mood for aquamarine i didn't think it was the best of their limited um range but it's yeah it's actually not a bad ink it's quite interesting ink um i didn't think it deserved to be part of the permanent range though like why couldn't they have made um amethyst the year before one of the permanents because that was a much better color okay um so any last rounding out thoughts about pelican as a brand um Buy M800s, buy new ones, buy old ones. <laughs> M800s are great. If you also like the, like, it, it's a nice flat top version of like a 146 size pen. And, and, and it's around that same level, as I sort of feel. Uh, 
and just like level six, you can there are many generations and many nibs to choose from, which is sort of why I like Mont Blanc and Pelican is for like their, their big fat nibs, and they do a good job of the old nibs being like stubbish and like fun to write with. I guess that's why I keep on buying them. <laughs> yeah, for the vintage gold nib fans. How about you, Sharon? Buy extra fine nibs when they're the same price as all of the other nibs. So Pel- we didn't talk about this, but of- officially Pelican extra fine nibs are more expensive than their other nib sizes. And as an extra fine nib obtainer slash collector slash it's just the one that I use, um, this disappointed me. It commenced from the – which. The turquoise release, the turquoise that I had, that release onwards, um, they started charging 18 or 19, yeah. They started charging a premium for the extra fine nibs. So if you find a place that doesn't charge you a premium, I believe it's 30 euros that the premium is, but um, for a 600 size pen. But if you find a place that sells EFs for the same price as your other nibs, get an EF nib. My goodness, because what are you doing if you don't get an EF nib? Aside from that, uh, I do wish that some of the more interesting nib sizes were more readily available. So uh, Leo mentioned the IB nib. I have one of the IB nibs, actually, and it's not my favourite nib, but I can definitely see that it's an interesting one. It's something different from what they're – pushing out on a daily basis. I kind of wish that was more readily available rather than having to try and hunt one down because it was a special edition or they were only mass produced for one uh, one release. Um, so in that aspect, I think Pelican in recent years have done their uh, customer base a bit of a disservice by narrowing down the field of choice since now, you know, other than the Suveran range where you can get EF2 I don't think you can even get the BB anymore. Um, everything else is almost a special order or you have to try your luck when they're doing a special run. Um, and then for the non kind of Suveran range, it's just fine, medium, broad. And that's kind of the case with a lot of pen manufacturers now. But Pelican, having once been known for having a wide array of nib sizes um, on par with Mont Blanc, has kind of dropped the ball in recent years. So I haven't seen much in the way of innovation in their nibs. But hey, you know, Pelican was two and a half, three years, three years late to the Shimmer Ink game. So maybe they'll be three years late to the Flex Nib game. <laughs> That's not a jab at Pelican. I love Pelicans. I even love your pregnant pen. So you've currently, you've, you've, you've said with me in my presence, buy an extra fine nib and now you're hoping that Pelican starts releasing Flex Nibs. Are you deliberately trying to have a go at me? I'm kidding. I actually, I mean, like I said, I'm currently using an extra fine nib. I love them, but sometimes I, well, by sometimes I mean most of the time, I love a double broad. Um, but I think that's ridiculous. I think charging a premium for an extra fine nib, I think is ridiculous. I think it is more justifiable to charge a premium for an extra broad nib because you have to use more iridium. It's usually just a, a big ball of the tipping, and it's, it's not actually iridium. Iridium is extremely expensive, but the, the metals that make up the alloy that they colloquially refer to in the industry as iridium 
trying to be as technically correct as possible, are quite expensive. Often it's like osmium and rhenium and ruthenium and all of that. They're often quite expensive. I get it. So I, I could see them making a double broad more expensive or an italic broad more expensive because they have to use more of the stuff. But an extra fine? I guess they could say, oh, it has to be manufactured. Because it's hand-finished. Yeah, they'll it's have to say, oh, yeah, yeah, well... But I think all of them are hand-finished, are they not? <laughs> well, anyway. To the same anyway. degree of, um, I don't know, detail. Well, anyway, I think it's unfair. I'm, I'm trying to defend my uh, my brothers and sisters and, and, and those who lieth betwixt in the... The EF lovers. <laughs> in, the, in the EF loving community, okay? I'm accepting here, all right? You, if, if Pelican's designs are not for you... You are valid, okay? Your opinion is valid. They are a polarizing design, I think, in many ways. I would say that if the color brings you joy, if the nib brings you joy, if the piston fill that, that holds huge amounts of ink brings you joy, buy one. If you think the M200s, the, 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 the special editions, are cute um, and they're functional, then buy one. But, you know, if you're like Diana and you just, yeah, just don't vibe with it, you don't like the cylindrical look, maybe you don't like the weight, maybe you don't like the design, I think that's totally valid. I have many Pelicans, but I also have many other brands that are totally different to Pelican. So have a look in person if it's a, one of those special editions. Yeah, get one. Um, but, yeah, as I said, I think it is totally valid to think that Pelicans just don't vibe with you because they are, they've gone with a particular design, they've stuck with it, and they know it works for some people, and I bet you they know it doesn't work with everyone else. So they've decided that's the risk they want to take. I, I completely agree. I completely agree. I think if you vibe with Pelican, there is a lot of depth there for you to explore in terms yeah, exactly. of like history, exactly. in terms of colors, in terms of nib, you know, if you're Leo, but if that model really is not your thing, then you're a shit out of luck, you know, unfortunately, Pelican yeah, to be for you. But fortunately, there is like all these other brands out there, including a bunch of German brands who do a lot of very different things. You know, there's Lamy, there's Graf and Farbgestell, there's Mont Blanc. Um, <laughs> Sorry, oh, well. you said there are lots of other German brands that do lots of other different things, and you said Lamy first and foremost. Yeah, I was like, you know, um, Lamy does one thing alone. <laughs> no, Lamy has the 2000 and the Safari. Oh, they at least, you know, have two, two very things. popular things. <gasps> like Sailor. Well, that's like more Sailor. than the Pelican. <laughs> Look, yeah, I, I think maybe it That's is more a, than Pelican, Sharon. <laughs> look, maybe, maybe it is a, a a German thing to go with. You know what? We're sticking with this. It works for us. Uh, like with Lamy and you know with their two thousand and their Safari. Yep, that works for them. You know, maybe they only have two main models, but it's worked for them. I don't, I don't see an issue with that. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, they've been doing it for eighty years. Who's to say that they're wrong? Um, it's worked for them so far, and it'll probably work for them for another, you know, many decades to come. So yeah, that's that's my thought about Pelican. If you're if you're into them, there's a lot there for you to get for you yeah, to, more power um, to you. collect. More power to you. If you're not, it's fine. You know, you don't have to love them. <laughs> um, so yeah, I hope that covered uh, Pelican for our Pelican fans to. Um, at least to get you started um, so that you don't feel like we've been 
a miss in not talking about Pelican sufficiently. Um, if you have any specific questions about how we feel about the brand or any particular models that you'd like our thoughts on, just write to us and we can give some more targeted feedback. Um, but in the meantime, uh, let's close out with our recommendations for this episode. This is where each host recommends something that can be fountain pen related. It doesn't have to be. So let's start with Leo. Two things. The first thing was I spent a lot last year not being able to travel, and I read, I was recommended a really good book uh, by Matt Golding called Rice Noodle Fish, and it's a sort of like travel food literature with a lot of culture, and like he just basically travels around Japan and like spends a lot of time in every area and talks about the history and future of like the, the, the dishes there. And I spent a lot of my Instagram just, just like copying out pages upon pages. That's why it took me like half a year to read the book because I was just uh, I couldn't continue reading if I hadn't like started writing out the, the entire like like page or two that I just read. And the other thing I want to give a shout out to is uh, I think Apple Boom on YouTube just did a released a video where I talk about my three favorite pens. Spoiler: one of which was an M eight hundred. What? No way, how could you spoil that? There's no, oh, there's no way you could no. take it that oh, no. Should I spoil the rest as well? <laughs> so yeah, uh, yes. you can go give a, 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 a gander over there. It's fairly fun, 10 minutes. Let's be honest, oh, none of the pens he picked surprised me. Is there a Pelican, a Mont Blanc, and a Pilot? The Mont Blanc wasn't in there. Oh! <laughs> uh, part of, hang on, sorry, there's an amazing pun in here. You can say, uh, close, but no cigar. It's a different cigar? Yeah, true. It it is a cigar of some sort. You'll just have you'll just you'll just have to watch it, okay? Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. 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 Tab, what's your recommendation? My recommendation for today um, is probably similar to a recommendation I've done previously. It is also another YouTube related recommendation, and it is a YouTube channel. It's it's probably quite a popular channel, but maybe some of you haven't heard of it. Uh, It is called Philosophy Tube. It is run by a lovely woman. Um, named, um, sorry, edit this pause out. I just had a mind blank. Um, Abigail, uh, Abigail Thorne. Um, uh, many of her videos are from when she identified as a man, but she came out recently in actually an amazing video. She came out on a video in a beautiful fashion that actually really, I think, explains her experience of coming out in a, a wonderful way. But she explains a lot of philosophical concepts really really well i believe she's got a master's in philosophy or maybe a doctorate um in actual pure philosophy and she explains concepts really really well Uh, she's got a video on data like on the the philosophy of data in our digital age and it's just so not the star trek character (laughs) no no um but yeah she's because she's got a lot of fascinating philosophical uh videos yeah many of them are political but she really does tie them back to um the the philosophy behind what she's talking about she'll cite philosophers she'll cite descartes she'll cite um kant you know all of that so yeah i think it's very interesting um philosophy for people who probably aren't that into the the dryness of philosophy and she's got amazing uh like editing styles she's got amazing um video styles um very uh, she's quite similar and i believe she's friends with one of my previous recommendations contrapoints 
So you can probably identify a trend in my YouTube watching. But yes, um, I very much like her stuff. Awesome. How about you, Sharon? It's your right. <laughs> I have two recommendations, and I have both of them handy. Just give me one moment. So I've had a spectacularly dreadful week. Um, well, maybe not dreadful is the right way to put it, but I have had an emotionally taxing week, um, emotionally, mentally, physically taxing week. And these help me get through the week. And if you haven't tried them, they're Maltesers truffles. Um, it, well, it's Maltesers, basically. Maltesers. But I discovered towards the end of the week Maltesers truffles were a thing. Right. Um, so to put this in context, we don't usually have chocolate in the office, but I somehow felt like this week may have been a week which required a bit of chocolate to help get them through and um, to get us through. Uh, little did I know that we, and when I say we, I mean myself and probably, well, Basically, one other person whose name I'm not going to throw out there, Joy, um, <laughs> she and a few others, but mostly her, we went through a kilo of Maltesers in the office this week. So you can kind of imagine how good a week that's been. Anyway, but I've come back and I've gone online. I'm like, how? where do I buy Maltesers in bulk? Because I was buying the 240 or 280-gram bags. And you get we buckets through, of them. Well, the 280 gram bags were on Amazon and they came delivered to my front doorstep for a very good price. And so I was looking on Amazon <laughs> going, well, you know, well, I was looking everywhere to see where I could buy Maltesers because we went through four packets of 280 gram bags of Maltesers in a week. So that at that rate, we need, uh, you know, we need to keep that um, supply going. But as I was doing so, I discovered Maltesers truffles. And if you haven't tried them, they are gourmet Maltesers. It has everything you love about Maltesers plus more. So it is like a mixture between the Maltesers bunnies, the teaser bunnies that they come out with uh, every single Easter, which happen to be my favourite form of Maltesers. I like Maltesers in case you haven't told. In case hey, you tell. Mars, Mars Chocolates, if you, uh, if you want to sponsor us, give us a shout. Uh, we're more than happy to accept sponsorship, <laughs> I think, right now. Yes, so Maltesers <laughs> Truffles is my first um, recommendation, and they blow your mind. If you've never tried them, honestly, they will blow your mind. They're fantastic. Oh, I'm ready. I'm so okay. ready. And then on a slightly more sombre note, or well, not even sombre, um, I've been doing some reading, and this book is called Social Intelligence. Um, I don't I don't want you guys to make judgment as to what that says about myself, but it's a, it's a non-fiction book. Um, so this is what I like to call a, um, it's a, it's a self-help book dressed up in technical language. So it's actually a very interesting read. It is, um, it explores the science behind how people interact on a social, in social settings. Um, and it's a very, um, it's based around, um, a lot of anthropological, um, theories and analysis like um, psychoanalytic um, uh, 
briefs, anecdotes, anecdotes, um, putting into practice or using like real examples of um, certain concepts. It's it's actually a really, really interesting book. Um, so it's called Social Intelligence, The New Science of Human Relationships, and it's by Daniel Goleman. Um, and I've got a paperback version of this. I don't even know who, where I got this um, uh, paperback version, but I apparently had this and I decided to start reading it. Because the other thing about being, you know, the year that didn't exist is that you really did lose, um, you lost... Uh, touch with social interactions. Like I think everyone's so ability to interact on a social level became a bit dampened. Yeah, a bit atrophied. It's like, how do you make small talk other than, oh, sorry, I think you're on mute. That's not, that's small talk in 2020, <laughs> right? <laughs> I think you're on mute. It's um, 2020. Yeah. Yeah, so this was like uh, something that I picked up out of the bookshelf and I just thought, you know what, this is probably going to be a good read because, you know, I need to de-atrophy. What, what's the – that's not even a word, is it? Um, regenerate. Yes, yes, regenerate um, my uh, social skills. So hence I'm reading this thing called Social Intelligence. Really good book, actually. Very interesting. Can I, Sounds good. Can I just say, Sharon, going through <laughs> a a kilo plus of Maltesers in a week, you are my hero. Oh my Talent. gosh! <laughs> wait, 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 that wasn't me. That wasn't me okay, though. Did I? Still, I it was still, like you know the the colleague that Sharpie mentioned, Joy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was a team effort, but still, that that is that is a feat of 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 gustatory talent that that. I am just in awe of. I am so impressed. I love that. It, I love. It's what that. happens when you work over fourteen-hour days. Still, I'm just, I'm just in awe. I, I, I love that. I love that. <laughs> My recommendation. So, um, something that I've been trying to do over the last couple of years. I have a very, very large and extensive wardrobe. Um, <laughs> I own a lot of clothes and my wardrobe has um, been, you know, curated and trimmed down and organized to death, but it's still massive. And I've been making a very great effort over the last several years to not buy things that are not going to last. And when I do buy things that end up needing repair, I've been trying to repair them rather than just throw them out or give them away or, um, you know, put them into a clothing bin. One thing that I have never learned to do and repair on my own are knits. So jerseys, um, woolen knits, things like that, uh, because you can't really do that with just plain sewing. So I had this pile of knits and jerseys, which has for you know, many years being my learn to darn box. That's my learn to darn pile. And I always told myself, you know, when I learn how to darn, I will sort out that pile of knits. In 2020, I thought, now is the time I finally learned how to darn. Well um, done. It didn't happen until, sorry? Well done. Darn. <laughs> well done it. So um, <laughs> darning, if you don't know, it's um, it's a type of, 
it's like a weaving process um, that you it's a it's a way of repairing clothes that are um, knitted or woven by um, making a duplicate sort of a weave um, using yarns and threads and I bought myself um, a mending kit from um, a like a, a retailer for woolens in Melbourne and I taught myself how to darn. My first efforts were pretty bad, you know. Um, I used red wool on black, so it looks pretty cool. It looks like this, you know, blood splotch on um, black jersey, but I'm pretty proud of it. Uh, the tension was all wrong, so, you know, maybe I'll have to unpick it and do it again in a couple of months, but I'm really happy with my first attempt. And um, so I'm going to recommend um, learning how to darn because it's a really nice meditative process. I like doing things with my hands. And in particular, I really recommend this kit that I bought from Willikens in Melbourne. They call it the Complete Darning Kit, and it contains like a lot of different stuff, things that you wouldn't be a part of an ordinary sewing kit, you know, like a darning mushroom, which is essential, um, pieces of woolen and linen fabric to make patches, um, a, a good selection of yarns of different weights. Um, and basically it, it's pretty comprehensive. And the point of it is that you can just get into it. You know, that's what I did, you know, without any practice, without any reading of books, I just followed their instruction manual, like the little leaflet that they provided me, I just decided, you know, the hell with it. I'm going to learn how to do this. And if my first attempt is bad, it's not the end of the world. And I think that's one way to get into it. If you've never had someone teach you how to darn or knit or things like that. Um, so yeah, if you like doing things with your hands, if you like knitting, um, if you are attracted to the idea of maybe patching your own socks or those moth holes in your beloved um, cashmere sweaters, um, I really recommend um, maybe reading a little bit about doing both invisible and visible mending. I think it's something that is great for the environment. It's a really useful skill to be able to do. And um, it saves you money. You know, you can wear things that otherwise would only be relegated to wearing around the house in your holy underwear. So that's my recommendation. Um, the Woolikens Complete Mending Kit. And if you're in Australia, it's very reasonably priced. It's um, like $105. It's a complete kit with everything you need to get started. You know, that really reminds me of the Japanese arts of, of Boro and yes. Sashiko. Boro and Sashiko. Um, Sashiko. Yeah, yes. they're, they're, so, they're amazing. I love those those styles. So in this mending kit, they also give you a Sashiko needle and some basic instructions on how to start doing Sashiko. Oh, that's fantastic. So that's what I like about this kit. It's very introductory. It's pretty simple. So it's really only for beginners. But if you're a beginner, it has everything to get you um, at the entry level to start doing it. You know, once you start doing it, then you can learn more complex things. You can learn how to stitch more neatly, but this is one way just to, just to start doing, learn by doing it. Um, so yeah, it's very highly recommended. And absolutely, my, my next project will definitely be yeah. Borrow. Borrow and Sashiko are fantastic for jeans. I, I, I nearly learned that to repair a pair of jeans, but the, the rip was just too big to repair, I think, using it and, and, and have it look um, not weird. I think, you know, it would look weird if I had tried to, to use borrow or, sh or Sashiko, but 
wow, like I maybe I don't know. I mean, maybe I mean I'm in my completely inexperienced <laughs> eye. I thought maybe, oh, and also it probably would have taken me a bit too long anyway. I didn't have the time to do it, but I, I think yeah, for for jeans mending, borrow and sashiko. If if it has a a, a sashiko kit, I, I'll probably look into that because I've always wanted to get into that. Um, they also do a a borrow kit. So this is their complete mending Ooh. kit. But if you're just interested in borrow, they do just a borrow kit, which is a little bit more stripped down, and it just contains the materials to get started in borrow. So maybe that's something you could have a look at. I'll send you the link. That's really um, cool. Yeah. So thanks, guys, uh, for joining me on this episode about Pelican. Thanks for making me, well, um, learn a bit more about Pelican than I knew at the beginning of this episode. So thanks, Sharon. Thank you. Thank you to Leo. Thanks for having me. And thanks, Tav. Thank you so much for having me again. Past and future episodes of this podcast can be found at thenipsection.com and wherever you listen to podcasts. Come to Apple Podcasts, rate us, review us, recommend us to your friends. Want to share your thoughts, suggestions, feedback? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at thenipsection at gmail.com. You can also comment at us on the Nip Section Facebook page or at the Nip Section on Twitter and Instagram. The Nip Section is the official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. Our producers this episode were Sharon Zahr, Leo Fogg, Tavit Sinanian and Dinah Dye. Recording and editing was done by Dinah Dye. Our music was composed by Michael Pierce. Our logo was designed by Will H. Smith with artwork by Melissa Graff. Thanks for listening.